Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday 16th of May, John Brett taught the second session at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. In this session, John looked at the topic of mission. John has planted a number of churches around the Greater Manchester area and currently leads the Antioch Network of Churches. Let's take a listen to the session. Yeah, um, thanks, Andy. Uh, I hope this is all right. I've switched to my mobile to try and make it easier. And Andy, um, if I'm not seeing the chats because I'm on my mobile, could you just email me? I've got my email open um, behind here. So guys, uh, thanks so much for sending in those replies on on what is mission. Um, And the whole question of, of what mission is about raises some really fundamental questions that are moving across the church right now. So the whole question about what is mission is intersects heavily with the question of like what is the church um so when i was at uh theological college uh training to be ordained somebody did a lecture on the church and they said well what is the church and many of the answers that came back were what you might call functional answers that the church is god's tool in mission the church is there for god to um God's way of reaching out to the world, or um, you also see theologians. Uh, I remember one of them described the church as the as the crater created by the gospel in the world. So, um, in this in this picture, the the church is the tool almost of the gospel, uh, and and that's common with people who talk and think about mission. It's that actually, it's it's not that the church has a mission. It's that the mission has a church. Now, we're not going to be able to get away from that, from from those big issues. But I do want to flag one of the difficulties that we've got as we talk about mission within a school of theology. And that is we're using what you might call our category. We're asking our question, what? is mission and the trouble is there are loads of different answers to that question you can't nail it down and say well hey your definition definition of mission is wrong you know like you shouldn't that that's inaccurate i mean in in the anglican church we we have five marks in mission um a couple of which really don't have much to do with evangelism at all and it's very difficult to say well that's wrong because we're doing theology and and i find that actually pretty difficult to process so your answers as they came in actually there were big variations in those answers so on the one hand we've got a really important question because it affects the whole thing of what is the church and on the other hand we've got a question that you can't sort of nail down from first principles. Um, So I think it's worth looking at 
just very briefly before we go into scripture, what is happening in the church as it approaches the world of mission? And that is that when you have a very broad category, something that is fairly abstract like mission, people will tend to grab that idea and they will tend to pull it in a direction that sort of fits with their preoccupations and their worries. And that's definitely what we're seeing in mission. That mission is being defined in terms of the way the church is going culturally. That's why you'll see a lot of stuff, and we may come back to this, some stuff about things like creation care, environmental concerns. Or, um, you know, we saw one answer, which is like meeting the needs of the community and, and, and so on. Or, so some of the, some, the things that the church is concerned about sort of become mission in the world of theology. And actually what we're going to be doing over these two sessions is taking a different tack. We're going to be going into John 16 and John 17, and we're going to be looking at uh, the sending out of the apostles in John 16 and John 17. Now, I'm not answering the question theoretically there, what is mission? Because I, I, I almost think that's kind of unanswerable. Um, you, you're picking up here that I, it's, it's a question that it, it almost slightly uh, frustrates me because it, it is becoming so broad. Um, on the other hand, I think drilling down into John 16 and 17, I think is helpful in terms of saying, well, okay, what is in the Father's heart for us? Where should we be concentrating? Um, again, you know, if, if you look at the, if you look at a mission notice board, I mean, maybe you, you don't have notice boards. If you look at mission notice boards, actually more and more missionaries are not ending up in places where there are no churches, even among evangelical churches. I'm not talking about now widening the idea of mission in the kind of less evangelical world to include creation care and so on. I'm saying that, Actually, this whole idea that some of you have picked up in your answers of, of going to where the gospel is not. Uh, even evangelical churches are, are drifting off that. So again, um, I want us to drill down into uh, these categories from John 16 and John 17. We're just going to teach through those. And then we're going to come back to the idea of what mission is or at least what what we what we have learned from it so i want you to um, i've broken this down in, into four categories around jesus's sending of the disciples um and the first category is the ministry of the spirit so jesus in uh john 16 he, he speaks of the Spirit ministering in two different directions. One of them is ministering to and in the disciples. Um, so 
he says, um, uh, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, obviously the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, the advocate is being sent to the disciples. But then Jesus adds, uh, he adds something else. He says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, um, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In other words, the spirit is moving in two different directions. He's moving in the disciples and he's working in the world. And that's the first critical category of mission that we're going to be looking at. And that category of mission um, overlaps with what we see in the Great Commission. So in the Great Commission, you can see that the Great Commission in Matthew, it starts with all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And again, you can see uh, Jesus commissioning the disciples in Luke. He, he says, don't go out of Jerusalem. But you will be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that thing of the presence of God coming through the Holy Spirit in the disciples and in the world are crucial features of this kind of sending, of Jesus' sending of his disciples. And actually, as you've read the kind of pretty bizarre, I mean, sometimes pretty bizarre stories that you find in uh, in joshua and judges about sending into the land you'll actually see very strong overlaps with this idea of the spirit sending the great commission starts and ends starts with the authority of jesus ends with his presence again that's the spirit at work in mission um the great commission is uh is almost a repeat of the sending into the land that you've been looking at today and in the sending into the land, there is obedience, but uh, the, the hornet, it says, it is sent ahead of the Israelites. And the hornet, uh, which you can see in Rahab's, uh, in, in what Rahab says to the spies, she says, we all know that God is with you. We are in fear and trembling here in Jericho. We know that, that God is with you and not with us. In other words, God has actually done something in the land before the Israelites ever get there. And that is the equivalent of the work of the Spirit. Now, at, at different levels, we kind of know this to be true. We know that when we are filled with the Spirit, that the whole process of mission is completely different from when we're doing it kind of mechanistically. Um, we know that when we're receiving from the Lord, that there's something fundamentally different about, about the way that people receive us, about the way that we communicate, about um, the way that we kind of represent Jesus. So we know that that is true. Secondly, we know that the Spirit's ministry is crucial as we spread the word. You see the way he says he will convict the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
And so what the spirit is doing here, just as the spirit uh, sort of went ahead of the Israelites and put their enemies to flight, so the Lord is addressing the whole problem of sin and repentance. One of the reasons why we in the 21st century are kind of struggling to communicate the gospel is there's simply no idea of sin. So we're having to kind of plug that with workarounds. You know, you're going to live your life in color or, you know, your, your, your best life now or you know, we want to bless you. But actually, there's no resonance for the idea of sin. We're shunting repentance further and further back along the process of conversion. It almost becomes the last thing now that we ask people to do. You know, we say, belong, believe, become or behave. And we, we sort of shunt repentance down to the end of that point. Um, whereas when the spirit comes... He causes repentance. He convinces and convicts the world. He brings a change of mind. And that's what repentance is. Sin, judgment, the identity of Jesus. The key things that the world needs to understand are actually taught largely by the spirit and not just by humans. So the ministry of the spirit as we as as we as the spirit works in us and works in the world is the first crucial strand that we're picking up in John 16 and 17. And again, as I said, you can see it in the Great Commission, and you can see it in the commissioning of the apostles in Luke. And I, I think as well, when we look at how the Great Commission interacts with what you'll be you, what you've been learning about in um, you know, the first five books of the law, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and so on. It actually gives us an insight into our own frustration sometimes with mission. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know how you guys find it, but it's like, oh, Lord, you know, are they, it's how are they going to get it? Is this, is this possible that people would understand who you are? Is it possible that people will repent? Now, Go back to where the Israelites were in the desert as they looked to cross into land. Uh, on, you know, on the first move through, the 10 spies said it's not possible, and only two of them said it was. And the two of them that said it was were the people who said, actually, God will go ahead of us. Again, see the similarity with the ministry of the Spirit. That actually the impossibility of the task put ahead of the children of Israel was not an accident that was somehow additional to God's call. It was wired into God's call. I, I was born in New Zealand, um, and I sometimes kind of wonder that if God really meant to give the Israelites land of milk and honey, why didn't he just, you know, send them out in the great fleet, you know, few canoes, get to New Zealand. There would have been no people there at all. And they could have just like brought their cows and their sheep and kind of done their thing. And they would have been in clover. They would never have been an Assyrian army. There would never have been a Babylonian army and blah, blah, blah. There would be no Philistines. There'd be nobody. Just them. They could sort of kill the mowers, plant their vineyards, and do what New Zealanders do. But that wasn't God's plan for them. God's plan was to put them in a place of vulnerability. It was to give them an impossible task of conquest. And so again, 
when you go into other scriptures, like, say, the Lament Psalms, Lament Psalms are not complaints about depression. They're cries for help in a position of impossibility. And that, that almost this, the, the call of Israel is not being fulfilled. Again, it's actually part of God's plan for us as a people that we should live in impossibility that we should rely on the spirit and specifically the spirit's work of convicting or convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's part of who we're called to as a people. So that's the first category, which is the work of the spirit in us and the work of the spirit in the world. That's the first strand. Now, the second strand that we're going to come on to, you can see at the start of chapter 17, which is, uh, this is some of the most, uh, I find some of the most powerful verses uh, that uh, sort of inspire me constantly. So Jesus says, he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people. And again, you're going to see the, the relationship to the Great Commission there, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Again, the relationship to the Great Commission, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence for the glory I had with you before the world began. So, the second strand is the relationship between the Father and the Son. And as we are called into that relationship between the Father and the Son, we call others into it. So, mission uh, in, in Hope Church in Longsight, which is um, my home church, we've been reading through the Gospel of John, which has actually inspired some of this teaching. And we've said it is one, it is a journey into the heart of God. And that we've also said it, it is a relational gospel. So mission is not only a call into the heart of God, as you note the relationship between the Father glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father. It is also a personal journey into the heart of God. Uh, so I was 24 when I went to Africa. Um, and I went to Africa to join a team that was um, praying with each other. They were helping the poor. They were wanting to see miracles. And uh, they wanted to spread the gospel. When I went, as I went there, I had a sense that God was not calling me there for function. He was calling me there for relationship. So again, look at what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't just say, you know, the Father, the Father glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father. He says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So it's almost that the Son's relationship with the Father is made complete in the work that he does with the Father. Again, you can see this in Hebrews, that Jesus is made perfect by obedience. That what we do becomes what we are. It becomes a foundation um, for our lives. 
So as we step into the work of a mission, we are also stepping into the heart of God. It is eternal life to know God, and our work is helping us to know God. And it is bringing others into the knowledge of God. In other words, there's this kind of resonance between what we call others into in mission and what is happening in our own lives. We are led deeper into the heart of God as we do his work. And as we call others into the heart of God, we ourselves are led into the heart of God. Um, and again, one of the big challenges sometimes that we find as we spread the gospel is we are not only spreading a message, but we are spreading a relationship. Uh, and Jesus at one point turns around and he's vitriolic with the Pharisees. He says, you know, you, you cross land and sea to make a single pro proselyte, a single convert. And then once he's converted, you make him twice as much as son of child of hell as yourselves. Um, and while that's not directed at us, it's a reminder that we are helping people build relationship. I, and particularly in Africa, it, it was odd to see people kind of converting, but not growing in prayer, but not growing in relationship. So category one is the work of the spirit. Category two is stepping into relationship with the father and the son and inviting others to do it as we work. Category three is the word. Now, you can see that um, particularly... As Jesus talks, uh, as Jesus prays for his disciples, he sees them as people who live and work in the word. Um, at one point, he says, sanctify them literally in your truth. And there are actually two ways of viewing this. One is sanctify them by your truth. The other is sanctify them for your truth, for, for the the carrying of the work. And so in this case, Jesus's disciples are seen as primarily as if you like carriers of the word of God, the message of the gospel. Uh, one time again, when I was in theological college, we had, um, we had to, we all had to do a um, seminar on what is the gospel in context. You know, uh, that somehow the gospel depended on your context, not just the communication of the gospel, but actually the gospel itself. And one guy who was, uh, you know, heading for to be a sort of theological educator uh, gave a 25-minute talk on what the gospel was without mentioning the cross Christ. Uh, and that, that's a problem. The, the word is the word out a crucified man. The gospel of Christ is God's unchanging message to the world. Um, sometimes when I'm talking to people, you know, I'll be talking about separation from God, alienation, the knowledge of God, and then I'm talking about a crucified man. And sometimes it can feel like a, a switching gear, but it's not. So this is the, again, remember, this is the third strand. The first is the work of the spirit. The second is the relationship with the father as we step into that mission. And the third here is the word of God. 
we have to live in the word of God. We have to speak the word of God. It is not our message. We don't get to remake it so that it fits with people's preoccupations, so that it fits with people's, it fits with the spirit of the age. We are set apart for the word. Um, and I mean, this is something, uh, and, and sometimes in our church, uh, we spend a lot of time with um, particularly people of Middle Eastern and Asian heritage, and we do try and build community. And sometimes that challenge of the word becomes an issue for us. It's almost, um, you, you, and you see this a lot with friendship evangelism, you build a friendship and then you can become unclear about the word of God. Um, and that's where you sometimes uh, you might need help. You might need somebody to come in and, and, and bring in testimony, or you might need to get into a different environment. Um, uh, where where somebody else is 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 bringing the word of God with great clarity, maybe the weekend away or something like that. So there's a little group of us um, who are studying Isaiah in in Arabic, and uh, it's a real privilege to have a guy who has given his life to Christ um, being part of that group, so that he can bring testimony into uh, into that group and and bring challenge. Um, on the word of God and the, the call to conversion. So that's the third element. So the first one, remember, is the work of the Spirit. The second is the relationship between the Father and Son and glorifying the Father and the Son. And the third is the word of God. Now, the fourth one is the church and the community. And again, we're going to go further down into John 17 here. It says, um, Jesus says, uh, this is verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. So in other words, going back to that first question about the relationship between the church and, and, and the, the gospel, the church here is, a, is where Christ, the unity between God's people is a mirror and reflection of the unity between the Father and the Son and the spirit so when jesus prays for the church he is praying that there may be this visible presence showing unity and relationship on earth and that is the fourth strand of the gospel the fourth strand of mission if you like which is jesus's presence in the community and that is why, that is one of, if you like, one of the big fracture points going around mission right now. Um, in some parts of the church, particularly more liberal parts of the church, God, the church is simply an instrument to achieve social justice or whatever. But if we understand God's call as core into relationship, then the church 
is fundamental in in offering a space for that relationship, a human mirror, a human reenactment of the unity between the father and the son. Now, essentially, then we, we have four strands. So I'm and of those four strands, I'm going to take that second one and park it a little bit. So the idea of stepping into the relationship between the father and I'm going to concentrate on those three operational strands of mission, which are the work of the spirit, the testimony of the word of God, and the visible living presence of God in the church. And we're going to look at mission in terms of how it affects those, uh, how those three elements sort of come into play one alongside the other. And I'm going to suggest that mission or the, the conventional, the, the calling of Christ to us will involve all three of those elements. So let's look a little bit at what happens when we sort of drop into one or other of those elements without emphasizing all three, without keeping that balance between the spirit, the word, and the community. So the first one is spirit only. So in the spirit only, you, you pray and you see God do things. So I remember uh, one friend of mine, um, part of the new wine movement, said once said, you know, like mission is a simple thing. You say, come Holy Spirit, and then you get people to tell their stories. Uh, and, you know, and that was pretty much it. Spirit only. I constantly come across people in Longside Market who um, the spirit has worked on them. The spirit is, the spirit, people are having dreams of Christ. Spirit is working in it. But what happens with that kind of work is that it, it doesn't turn into Great Commission discipleship. Remember, Great Commission discipleship is you teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So again, you're seeing the element of the word there. You can also have word-only evangelism. And that's the stuff like street evangelism. Well, all you do is present the word. You know, probably the Spirit of God is working, but, but you're not, you don't really have any insight into that. You just present the word. Now, in my experience, this isn't all that effective. So um, there are three kind of circles that I would say we work in, in, um, in a, a sort of just a, a loose community of people doing outreach over different parts of Asian and Arab Manchester. One of them is a shop we have, which is a strong element of community around it. There are different activities called the Alexandria Library. Another one is that uh, in Longside Market, where we see, again, people can come back to us. You know, we're there every week and we're selling stuff and, you know, it's a chance to talk quite easily. And there is, is full-on street work. Now, in my experience, that just that street, that book table, doesn't give the same, um, it doesn't offer the same impact. Because there isn't that element, there isn't such a strong element of uh, spirit of community. However, um, I, I just keep an eye on this. Um, 
I think that sometimes we can underplay just presenting the word of God. I think, I think we can underplay it because it's scary and people are going to blank us and people are going to hate us. Um, so don't, don't diss it. But equally, mission is not just about the word of God. I'd suggest it's, it's, it's around these three strands. Finally, um, th there's church only. And to be honest, I find that this is something that I can slip into sometimes. So just come to church, just come to church, just come to church. So let, let the community do the work. Um, and in, in softer forms of the gospel, we can make the gospel about the church. Now, while that has some strengths, particularly one of the strengths is that we realize that we're doing this as a community. It also has some weaknesses because we can just think about, we can slip into institutional thinking. Yeah, and there are times when I've been talking to people and I felt that that person is actually wanting to address a spiritual issue that the, that the spirit has been speaking to in their lives. And maybe I've gone too quickly and saying, well, do you want to come to a Bible study? Do you want to come to church? Um, and, and certainly making the making the sort of gathering of the church as a community without presenting the gospel, without the work of the spirit can of course destroy the church as much as it can. The, uh, the essentially the, the testimony and the, and the balance of what we do in mission. Um, so I'm also going to put something out there about the move towards um, how much time have we got? We've got five minutes. So I'm just going to drop the, I'm just going to drop this in there in the last five minutes and, and do a little bit of a rant about what I see as mission being extracted from any one of those three things that we've seen in John 16 and 17. Mission being talked about as not related to the work of the spirit convicting of sin and righteousness and of judgment and of confirming the testimony of the gospel, nor the word of God, particularly the call to conversion, nor the community of God. And this is where mission kind of drifts into purely sort of love your neighbor, um, where redemptive activity is the, the idea of redemptive activity and mission is widened to the point where it can be anything. And, and I know this, I mean, when I was in Africa, um, I worked in aid organizations and, you know, we did serious aid work. I mean, I did a master's in aid work. But what you'd see is aid workers were defining the kingdom of God and defining the mission of God in line with their own aid work. And it, they, we came to almost at some point to justify what we want. And you see this thing, art is mission. Art is mission. Wow. Business as mission. Not for mission, but as mission. Um, rather mischievously, I, um, I pulled up some titles from a, uh, from a meeting 
theological meeting held on the centenary of the World Missionary Conference of 1910 held at Edinburgh. Now, I get, I get that mission back 100 years ago may have had some sort of civilizing overtones. I'm not saying it was ever perfect. But here are some of the titles. The Missio Spiritus towards a Pentecostal pneumatological missiology of creation. I don't know what that is. The Missio Day in Eco-Justice and Earth Care. Uh, the Missing Link, Creation Empathy as the Foundation of Christian Mission. Uh, ecological Mission in a Globally Connected World. So, you know, and well, you get the point. So while I started back when by saying we don't own the word mission, that actually lots of people can define it however they want. We can't necessarily stop them doing that. We can just concentrate on, on scriptures categories. I would really question whether we as people of the Great Commission, people in relationship as God, are not getting distracted from fundamentals when we, when we broaden our definition of mission outside those, those four categories. That is, category one, the work of the Spirit. Category two, stepping into relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Category three, the Word of God. Category four, the community of Christ. So um, we're about two minutes from the break. Um, and what you can do during the break and for the first bit after the break is I would love to take questions and um, any thoughts and comments before we turn to some specific applications of the, the direction that that's going in. So put your comments and your questions on the chat and we'll do the first bit of the second session trying to address some of those comments and questions. Great. Thanks, thanks John for that. Um, so what we can probably do is if you have questions stick them in the chat and um, I can read them out and I can ask John those questions uh, and he can address those in the first bit of our next session. Is that all right? So uh, we're going to have a break now uh, for 10 minutes so do grab yourself another cup of tea, coffee, whatever it is you're drinking Grab yourself a biscuit and we'll meet back here in 10 minutes at roughly, what are we on? Half past 11. Okay, see you soon. Well, welcome back, everyone. I uh, hope you've managed to get yourself a good break. It's our final break of, of the morning. Uh, John's going to come back. And as he said earlier, John's going to uh, answer some questions for us as we, as we get back into, into our session. Um, so we've had a number of people send in questions uh, here. I am uh, I'm just going to read through some of these. Hopefully John will, will make it back soon so we can answer some of these questions. Um, yeah. So there we go. Uh, I think you've got to start my video there. Andy. Oh, I do have to start your video. Yes. Sorry, John. That's my uh, my issue there you've got your video back on so um first question we have here just came in just slightly before the break it's from Yupin. Uh, he said this um uh, i noticed that you described the effects of overemphasis of the spirit the word in the community what about overemphasis of the second point 
relationship, joining in the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In your experience, does that ever occur? Well, I mean, no. It's the, I mean, this is eternal life that they should know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ you have said. It's pretty difficult to overemphasize eternal life and knowing God. Having, I mean, the only slight sort of modification that I think if we if we define a relationship without clarity it's not actually a relationship at all go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching to obey everything that i've commanded you i mean i think if we talk about a relationship without conversion without repentance without the cross without obeying everything that he's commanded it's not really relationship that we're talking about so in theory no but like anything uh, if you if you don't give clarity on that, then it, it's it's not actually about relationship and stepping into the relationship with the father and the son. Great. Um, next, we've got another question. Uh, if one of the elements is missing from mission, should that mission be undertaken in the first place? That's coming from from Joseph. If one of the elements is missing from mission, should that mission be undertaken in the first place? So if you're going somewhere where there is no church and those places still exist, there is no community that you can relate to, then yes, you can do that. Now, in practice, what you find is that there is usually a community of some kind. I'm going to be coming on to this. A little bit. I mean, what kind of communities are we finding in the 21st century in tough places? Um, mission without the word. No, not really. Mission without the spirit of God. Uh, where you can try that um, if you're a masochist, um, and if you. But yeah. But sometimes you you don't always have community. Uh, in theory. Um, in practice, I would really encourage people to think along those three lines and undertake a mission. Great. Thanks for that. Um, and then just one, one further question we have here um, is from, from Andy. He says, thanks, John, for your very thought-provoking and challenging presentation. Those of us taking part this morning will, I'm sure, represent churches in many different types of settings, inner city and suburban. How do you think as the people of God in our particular areas, can we find the right way of reaching out in social action, but still keep our Christian distinctives? So the main tool that I would do there is to say, love your neighbor means love your neighbor. And it, it, God tells us to love our neighbors. It's not a kind of an optional extra or something that is below other commands. But Loving your neighbor is not in and of itself mission. So I would say um, keep your categories clear that when you're seeking to reach out, you know, with love and just ordinary help, then then do it. But don't. I, I would hesitate about calling that. Mission. Again, I know some people do, and I can't prove that that's wrong. I'm, I just think it can be unhelpful. It, it's not clear enough. Um, yeah, and, and that also kind of drags me back. Some of the questions on the chat I've seen about things that seem kind of vastly complicated, that this does it. I, 
actually, I think I'm trying to defend the simplicity of it, saying go and make disciples of all nations. You know, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, just through the work of the word and the spirit and the community, just invite people to step into that relationship with God as you go. And, and actually, I think that the, um, that simplicity is protected when we think in those, you know, in those, in those terms. When a, a lot of that guff from the, from the mission conference is caused by just not being clear about what we're talking about. I'm not saying don't protect the environment. I'm just saying, I just think it's unhelpful to think of that as mission. If, if you see what I mean. Yes. So really you're in terms of simplicity for you, you're saying that the mission needs to be attached to community word spirit and keep those three intention. And that's the, as, the simplicity. As we invite people into relationship with Christ and as we make disciples. Yeah. That, that is where I would say, I can't prove to you that's the only way of thinking about it. But to me, that is a helpful, clear, biblical way of thinking about it. Yeah. And that love your neighbor by all means. In fact, you have to love your neighbor. But it doesn't mean that everything that you call loving your neighbor is, is if you like, mission. Um, and, and again, I just want to go to another question. Somebody said, look, isn't there a lot of talk here? Don't we just need to do it? Um, and that, again, is a good point. You know and you understand what you do. As people provide more and more theology of mission, there are less and less people risking their lives in mission, it seems to me. That where that actually we we know and understand we know and understand the things that we do. And so yeah, sometimes I think there is a case for just going to the lost, sharing God's heart, just being allowing him to to, to kind of break us and sending us out. And then he teaches us in that place of desperation. He teaches in that place of kind of sharing his heart and his care for the lost. So yeah, there is some, there is something about doing there and the clarity that comes with doing. Uh, I, I think those are, good point there's a little bit of of um yeah understand this but a little bit of actually jump in at the deep end and you'll learn some dependency on god and you'll reach out to him and he can teach you through that a little bit and, and, and yeah get... and and actually love your neighbor means genuinely love your neighbor love your neighbor as mm. as someone who who faces hell mm. yeah you know it's not yeah. just you know love them materially you love them genuinely materially and then you do mission it on another track mission is the first expression it is a fundamental expression of love because people's deepest need is for a relationship with god and their greatest danger is not covid or social isolation it's eternal isolation from god yeah that's really helpful john i think yeah, it's such an important thing to just keep the simple things front and center really and, and eternal destiny of saved and unsaved yeah. is, is important thing to just keep front and center because it really kind of motivates us i think um to to, to you know what, what our reason is for for sharing jesus with, with people and 
if anyone has any more questions, uh, please do stick them in the chat. I'm sure we'll get maybe a moment or two at the end uh, to answer any other questions. But uh, John, if you want to keep going, uh, if you've got other content, you're welcome to, to continue doing that. Yeah. I think we've got another half an hour or so um, yeah. to, to go. So, so what I'll do is I will leave space for questions. Um, I'm just going to run. So I'm going to leave about 10 minutes if you just want to, uh, you know, if you want to fire those up. Um, so uh, in the next 20 minutes, I'm just going to look a little bit at some of the ways that uh, we're doing mission right now and the way that's working, particularly in the 21st century. So, um, so the mission example number one is pretty close to home, uh, which is the Alpha course. So I, I think I flagged this up on your course notes. Look at the Alpha course and you'll see a really interesting interplay of those three elements. So the first is the Alpha Course, like a lot of what's called process evangelism, uses community. So the Alpha Course actually grew out of a discipleship course for Christians. And then non-Christians started coming to it. And then they turned it into an evangelistic course. So it actually was birthed in community. So that's the end of John 17.3. You'll also see that there's this very strong emphasis in the spirit and the way that they use the weekend away in the Alpha Course as a way of sort of extracting people and exposing them to the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's such a strong emphasis on the Alpha Course that there's kind of been some criticism of the Alpha Course for doing that. I mean, Nicky Gumbel himself, I think, said, you know, we don't really think people are listening that much before the third or fourth week. Well, I kind of tell them the gospel on the third week, um, but they sort of hold the, hold the Holy Spirit weekend to the point of maximum concentration. But there is definitely an emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons why they encourage people to worship in the Alpha Course. So you've got the element of community, you've got the element of the Holy Spirit, and the third thing is you've got the element of the Word there. So, uh, excuse me, um, <clears throat> is that the Word is presented, um, particularly on the third week, in, in fairly kind of classic terms of, you know, this is Scripture. Again, Alpha's slightly modified the way that it that it handles that by taking the Bible studies out and making them more kind of generic discussions. So the Alpha course is interesting in the way that it uses uh, the word, the spirit, and the community as mission tools. Now, some of the critiques or criticisms of the Alpha course as, as mission have, have come out of a differing emphasis on the word, the spirit, and the community. So, for example, Christianity Explored, which is a kind of more conservative rerun of it, works specifically through the Book of Mark. As if to say, well, actually, we want to be anchored in this message. These texts are where we want to go. Um, they don't have the Holy Spirit weekend. So, you know, I'm sure they're praying and they're asking the Holy Spirit to move and so on. Um, but there isn't that deliberate and focused teaching around the work uh, of the Holy Spirit, particularly in believers. Um, 
And the third thing is that there is a constant repetition of the gospel. So it's almost as though until you specifically respond to the gospel and repentance and faith, there's a little bit of a boundary around the community in Christianity Explored. So as if to say, actually, you kind of step into the community when you believe the gospel, whereas the Alpha Course nuances that a lot more than Christianity Explored. Um, uh, it, it, it sort of invites you to step into the community at an earlier point. Um, so that, that's an example of where those three different strands are being invited into relationship with the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Word and the Gospel, are treated differently in two different um, sort of evangelism courses. So you can see some of that thinking going on behind there in a, in a pretty practical way. Uh, and yeah, like I say, so I mean, I, you know, I'd value your thoughts on that. I'd be happy to take questions as you, um, as you kind of maybe reflect on those different courses and your own experiences with them. So I want to, I want to spend the last sort of 15 minutes that I'll be talking addressing a, a different question and one that's kind of come up a little bit, which is the idea of going, of specific movement. And this goes back to the idea of mission having, if you like, three different elements. Element number one is you have a sender, God. Element number two, you have someone who sent, that's us. Element number three, you have something that you are sent for, uh, which I've suggested is, you know, is, is the good news um, in particular, although I can't prove that to you. You know, there are other definitions out there. So the emphasis here is going to be on going. I mean, what does it take to go outside our environment? And, and that, I would say, is one of the differences between mission and evangelism. So whereas evangelism concentrates on what you speak, where you are, uh, mission is different. Excuse me, I'm just having a slight. Uh, there you go. Mission, mission has this sense of, of, of going, of kind of being uh, sent. Now, when I, when I went to Africa, in some ways, I was pretty reluctantly following a sort of classic heritage of going where there were no churches, learning the language, picking up the culture, planting a church. And that was, that was something that has existed, um, you know, for, for hundreds of years, that was almost the primary preoccupation of, in, in some ways, foreign mission. And particularly as a kid growing up in, as a teenager growing up in Oxford, um, you know, I remember being told about this very, very dark place. And actually, my plan A was to go to this very dark place in England where there were, had, had the lowest number of sort of church people of anywhere in the country. And that was called Salford. So I'd never been to Salford. I didn't know what it was like, but I just knew it was dark and I, you know, maybe I should go there. Um, but 
what I want us to look at now is the way that kind of mission is changing a little bit. Um, mission is changing uh, as we go abroad and even, and even as we stay. And that is that vast amount of the, the information explosion uh, and things like migration have begun to change the way that Christians relate to the world. So whereas in at the time, so I'm going to concentrate first on this, the word. Um, whereas at the time of the apostles, you had to go and preach because people just would not hear the word otherwise. Verbal communication message, face-to-face -face verbal communication message was the only way of hearing. Now, that's not really the case. Um, uh, last I saw, um, 612 million Indians were users of the mobile internet. Um, you have, I think, about 4,000. How many do you have? Um, Worldbibles.org, which is a site that I've used, has claims to have God's word in 4,000 languages. And it looks to me like India is about a thousand of those. Um, there's a site called Faith Comes By Hearing that has Bibles in 1,353 languages. So it's almost as though Faith Comes By Hearing is saying, well, how will they hear without a preacher? It's in Romans 10. And they're saying, well, Faith Comes By Hearing because we can consume the word of God. We can go onto the internet. We can, we, we can find the word. So that's one thing. As we, we sort of move cross-culturally, we will find that actually the word of God, at least as an option, has gone ahead of us. It doesn't follow behind us. Um, that doesn't mean anyone's listening to it. It just means it's there. Um, the, obviously, the Spirit of God is working differently. Um, here in the inner city areas of Manchester, um, most Christians are not people of my cultural and ethnic heritage. Um, I can remember this again just after I graduated, lived in Hackney, you know, and it struck me that young guy, young Christian guys in Hackney, they just weren't of my ethnic heritage. They were completely different. In other words, even in hard to reach places, there is some kind of Christian community. And, you know, I know people have been to Libya, worked in Libya, and actually ended up working closely with African Christian migrants who are really embedded more in some of those hard to reach places than we as um, Westerners are. Uh, even even in kind of Eastern Mauritania, the back end of beyond, you, you would find that there were some guys who were Christians there just trying to earn a living. In other words, um, globalization has changed the way that people hear the word. Um, now, what I think that does is I think that that changes the emphasis not it doesn't it's not a complete game changer but it changes the 
emphasis on some of the things that the Lord is asking for us. So as well as the kind of classic go, get out of your comfort zone, go, move, which I think is still incredibly important. I think there's also an equipping for going, which is a little bit different in the 21st century. And that is that um, we are the the importance of community is growing. Why do I say that? I think in a in a in a world of increasing globalization, people are looking not just for information, they're looking for a truth that they can live by. And people hear a lot of religious ideas, they hear a lot of information, but they're skeptical. They don't, they're skeptical about whether that is a viable and a feasible truth. Now, if you remember, the community in John 17 is a reflection of the nature and the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit are bringing us into relationship with the Father. So as we build relationship with one another, even in hard to reach places, we are showing people a worldview. We are showing people a new life of love that the world can live by. And again, this is, this is something that Jesus explicitly foresees. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So he's assuming that the unbelievers can see into the relationship between believers. So taking a specific example of working somewhere like the inner city, if we as a community, as a church, show that we do don't depend on our culture or a specific culture we don't depend on education we don't depend on um common social bonds to live together but people of different language origins people of different races people of different education levels people of different income levels are living together in a community we are offering a worldview that is very powerful and very persuasive. So again, here in the inner city, you could look at something like um, some of the ways that, um, say, uh, South Asian ethnic communities are bound together. They're bound together by bonds, but they're not the bonds of grace and love. The 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 giving away that are between the father and the son they're based on rules and law and when we as a church show those principles of grace and love we are have a this powerful tool to call people into a worldview and that is true even when you go into say the arab world or somewhere like this that your ability to grow bonds of love between those on god's mission is a crucial factor in showing people who God is. 
And this causes pressure, if you like. It's a challenge to our character. So a lot of people who have a strong, uh, who, who are involved in cross-cultural mission or moving away from their sort of natural cultural home have a, a very strong sense of purpose. But they don't necessarily have the um, almost the, the depth of relation building that you need in order to build teams, to work cross-culturally, and to show the love of Christ in those communities. So, if, I mean, if, if you go to a sort of a, a, an Arab city, actually some of the guys there on the ground living there, whether they're locals or whether they're migrants from other parts of the world, if you can build team with those people, if you can work alongside people, you're going to be much more effective as a missionary. I know that some of the most effective work that I've done is um, through long site market. There's not in fact necessarily been a word that I've spoken, but that I just know people who know people who are listening to who's open to the gospel. In other words, what I'm saying is that Mission, and mission particularly in the 21st century, calls us to be people who can build community on the front line. And that's what I, that's what I, I hope, I hope, I, and I, I think, I mean, I definitely see Hope Church alongside as a church that builds community on the front line. It's, it's accessible and it calls people to Christ. And I think that there is a sense that this particular stress now in the 21st century about building these teams, being cross-cultural, and having a kind of depth of character that allows us to work together, to forgive one another, to understand each other. Again, that's reflected in, in that second thing, that the the humbling of Christ, the submission of Christ to the Father, is not just an instrumental thing that he did. It is in the nature of God. The humbling that we have to go through as we, as we build teams, as we build churches, as we build communities, it's not something that we simply do while we're on mission. It is about adopting the relationship about adopting the relationship of God into our own lives. So, again, that comes back to that second point. And I, I think that, that second point of stepping into the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, living it out, living it out in our relationships with each other, is a particularly a kind of 21st century challenge. as a world that looks for sort of reality, a world that looks for, um, for truth. So I'm just going to, I mean, I guess I'm just going to sum up. We only have like 12 minutes left, which is that all three of those challenges, to walk in the spirit, trusting in the power of God, to walk in impossibility is a challenge. We're constantly rooted in that relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, loving one another, building community. And I think that's particularly a 21st century challenge. We are challenged to bring the word of God in a hostile world. Uh, I think 
whenever mission makes you loved by the world, ask yourself a question, whether it's right, the word of God will not make us loved by the world. And, and again, that, that kind of building of community is something we often despise in the world of mission. Oh, not despise, but don't take seriously enough um, as, as part of our going and as part of our building community with those we work with. So there's my summary. I've kind of come back to my four points of sort of given it a sort of 21st century twist. Um, and yeah, I'd be happy for questions. Great. Uh, thanks so much, John. Um, I've just got a couple of questions uh, here, which I will just uh, bring out to you. So um, you mentioned about uh, community spirit and word, um, and you mentioned that some churches are kind of very, very much set up um, as a community and the way they do mission is come, they invite people into the community to their, their service to the church. For a church that's like that, what steps, what practical steps would you advise that they could take to become more focused on the other two? Um, and not just be reliant on come to our church? Um, I, to, to be honest, Danny, I'd just say the first thing I'd do is just take an audit. Just have a look. Um, are people coming to Christ? Are people getting baptized? Are people obeying the word of God? So if people are getting converted, getting baptized, obeying the word of God, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, this is all about um, you know, my, uh, my daughter is involved in a church, in a new frontiers church in Birmingham, you know, and they see people coming in, they see people coming to Christ from different backgrounds. Look, if it's, if it's working, if you are seeing people obeying the word of God, then your balance between communication of the word, the community and the work of the spirit is probably good. Um, so you don't necessarily need to do anything. Well, I mean, you, you know, you don't, you don't need to sort of drastically overhaul it. But if it's not working, if you're not seeing people coming to Christ, then, uh, you know, that's probably where you'd want to have a closer look. That's really where you'd need a bit of an audit and really almost like, look, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What's working? What's not? Really? Yeah. Right. And, and in, in my experience with a church, two things will tend to fall out of the ministry of a church that's sort of degrading, uh, that, that's sort of weakening. One is evangelism and the other is prayer. And I think this is one reason why churches like HDB, which culturally are totally alien to me, you know, they're all like old Etonians and they're kind of, um, they, one of the beautiful things about what they do is they just say, we're just going to do Alpha. And almost just as a discipline, as a discipline of mission, we're going to do Alpha. We're going to keep doing Alpha. And I think the Lord's really blessed that because it's their gentle way of just as a discipline of fulfilling the Great Commission. That, that's, I think the Lord's really blessed. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's just a simple... That simple, doing the same thing, same direction, and keeping going with it in terms of... Um, yeah, and one of the things context. they say is, look, you know, do it the way we tell you, and then once you've really lived in it, um, fix it. But, I, you know, I think a lot of the issues with the mission is we just don't do it. Yeah. Just do it. 
think I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, I think just do it is, is a great thing to say on that. Yeah, another question I've got here. So uh, how can we be better at cross-cultural mission in our city? How can we be better at cross-cultural mission in our city? So um, there are obviously different cultures. Um, I remember I once went for a university interview, which I failed. Um, and the guy asked me what I was going to do in my year off. And I said, um, oh, you know, I'll go and work somewhere that's sort of uh, different in England, you know, not the sort of leafy suburbs that I grew up in. He said, well, why don't you want to go abroad? And it was like, well, I, that is, for me, that is a different culture. So I went and worked in Margate um, on it. So the, I think one of the... So... For cross-cultural mission, one is just receive God's call. Go, number two. Three, remember the work of the Spirit, the Word, and the community. Now, if you go cross-culturally, you remember those, those basic biblical things, and you go, the Lord will show you what you need to do to get better. You know, if you get those broad principles right and you're committed to doing it, you're committed to being in a relationship, the Lord will show you. I mean, there's, there's some guys listening here from Hope Church who, um, well, there may be two couples actually, you know, if you sort of said, okay, this is how you are going to meet people and this is how you were going to, um, you're going to get invited into people's lives from the kind of South Asian community. I mean, it, it, they wouldn't have thought it up. It wouldn't have been part of the master plan, but they did it. And the, the great thing is to go to be with people and, and the Lord will show you the rest, I think. I don't think you need to over-theorize around it. Certainly not in the five minutes we've got left. Yeah. I mean, I... That's great. I've, one more question. Um, so in your church, do you do, you talked about Alpha and Christianity Explored. In your church, do you do Alpha or Christianity Explored or something else or none at all? So one of the issues that we've found is that we, as we've, um, as we've tried to run courses, we've found that people just tend to sort of drop out of them with frustrating regularity. Um, and so we've ended up kind of beginning to do uh, we have a Tuesday night where we run different tracks, some of which are explorer tracks, some of which are sort of going deeper Bible studies, almost to kind of bring those two things together. Um, having said that, as Antioch is our network, we're actually running an alpha course in lockdown. And I actually think I'm sort of tempted to think that we need to revisit whether we run courses because courses have a, a, a direction of travel they do specific at a specific point invite you to commit your life to christ they, there's a very clear point um and uh so it's something that we we've addressed a little bit in lockdown and it's something that we might come back to but uh, initially at least we've found that the sort of chaos in people's lives has meant that we, we haven't got enough consistency. So we've tended to just run a permanent seeker friendly midweek, if you like. 
Well, that's great. No, that's, that's really helpful. Um, John, thank you so much for, for joining with us this morning and uh, sharing with us about mission. It's been uh, great to hear from you. And um, yeah, it's, it's great all that you're doing, really, through the Antioch Network, through the Alexander Library. I mean, I hear lots of great stories of, of things that are happening and, and people who are who are discovering Christ from, I mean, I want to say some of the most unlikely places, really. Um, so I just want to commend you for really going out there. I mean, you've, you've said one of the things we need to do is just go. And, um, you know, something that you've done, uh, something that you live, it's not just something you're saying. You are going out there. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things I would say, Andy, is that actually uh, one of the things you find when you go is that things aren't quite as unlikely as they seem. Yeah. Is that, People who are different seem much more intimidating from far away, kind of, than they do close up. And actually, the world is changing. There is a, people are not, people are actually kind of, in some ways, really open to the gospel. There's a surprising openness to the gospel and stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. Oh, well, thank you so much, John. Um, it's great. We're, we'll get the recording out to you, hopefully, this next week. Again, apologies that was a, a little bit jumpy, the video um, this morning. Hopefully, we'll be able to get that uh, resolved for next time. Just so you know, our next School of Theology session will be on Saturday, the 6th of June. We're going to be joined by Richard Thomas. He's going to be taking us through from, from Samuel right the way through to Chronicles in the first session. And then we're going to look at temple theology in the second uh, session. Um, yeah, so that's going to be our next session. Three weeks time, 6th of June. Um, I imagine, unless anything changes, we will probably be in Zoom for that session. I'm really hoping that by our September session, we take a break over the summer, that we will be able to meet in person. But really, who knows? It's all up in the air right now. Um, but again, thank you so much, John. There's lots of comments coming in um thanking you and saying very nice things and saying brilliant and interesting and encouraging so um i know you can't quite see them because you're on your phone but um lots of nice things being said yeah it's been really good really challenging really provoking uh, your take on, on that today i'm just gonna i'm gonna pray as we finish and then we'll we'll end our morning uh, together um lord uh, i i thank you for what what john and, and tom has has brought here this morning um, Lord, I just thank you for that line. Just go, really, Lord. Just go, and, and that you will teach us as we go, as we get out there, as we get stuck in, as we jump into the deep end. And Father, I pray that you will, even in this whole lockdown period where just going isn't as simple, I just pray that you would enable us to go out there and, and share you with people, Lord. Um, and Lord, that we keep those three things, the spirit, the word, and community together and strong as we as we go out and share your message with people, Lord. Now, I just pray, even through this whole COVID-19 season, we would see many people come to know you through our Alpha courses, through our online meetings, whatever it is, Lord, that people would hunger for you and that they would find you, Lord. You know, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen, Amen everyone. Um, great. Thanks again, John. Thank you, everyone, for joining with us this morning. And we'll see you again next time.